Hello, and welcome to the Long-Term Investing Podcast with Baskin Wealth Management. I'm Barry Schwartz, Chief Investment Officer. Baskin Wealth Management is an independently owned investment management firm with over $2 billion in assets under management, providing customized wealth management solutions and services to families and foundations. In this podcast, we ignore all the noise and have conversations that make sense about the things that matter in today's markets. It's what we talk about with each other here in the office, and we want to share those conversations with you. Please stay tuned for our legal disclaimer at the end of the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined as always by Ernest Wong, Head of Research at Baskin Wealth, and I'm Barry Schwartz. What's going on with you today, Ernest? Finally starting to snow. <laughs> um, it's good. It's good. Uh, that winter is, uh, you know, it's winter's finally starting for those that like to ski and snowboard and shovel snow, although kind of late this year. Is, do you think climate change has anything to do with it or just wacky weather? It's also El Nino. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. What, is, what does El Nino mean? It's a weather phenomenon yeah. that happens every four years that has some impact to the weather. So um, I have a very hard driveway to shovel, a very long driveway, very skinny driveway. And we hired a, a every year we try and hire a new guy because they fire us because our driveway is so hard to shovel. This year, I think the guy has so far shoveled once. So it's it's been a good year to be in the snow removal business. Tell your son to do it. Yeah, tell my son. Yeah, exactly. Um, Ernest, uh, we're in a bull market. And for, for, the, for the S&P 500, it hit all-time high the, the other day. TSX, not so much. Um, you know, it's been two years, of course, in a bull market where we haven't had a bull market. Uh, you know, it's uh, been a, a tough couple of years, but a quick recovery in the S&P, quick recovery in the NASDAQ, of course. How should one behave in a bull market? What do you think? I think it's it's very tempting to try and time the market. Mm -hmm. I think everybody wishes that they could have sold at the top in 2021 and bought at the bottom in 2022. But history has proven that that's a fool's game. You're not going to time it properly. Yeah. Doing so is generally costly because you have to pay taxes and you have to pay transaction fees and you have to, uh, and and you might miss out on further gains. Yeah, you have to be right on the sale, right on the buy. You have to also be right on which stocks to repurchase or which index to repurchase. Starts getting pretty hard to get all those variables right. I think it is prudent, of course, for an investor to watch for the valuations of the names that they own. But beyond that, I think the best thing to do is is nothing. So 2024 started out off pretty hot as well. Of course, we're in a bull market for the US stocks. Um, valuations have picked up, but I, I, we're not in any way silly as they were in 2021 yet. No, I think it's I think we're quite far away from that point. Because in like 2021 was Certainly not going to forget that anytime soon. Yeah, there were people with like laser eyes on their Twitter uh, photos. Explain what the laser eyes uh, uh, mean for those that aren't aren't on Twitter. So, 
basically um, in 2021, cryptocurrencies were all the hype. Yeah. And you can signal to other people that you were part of the party if you had laser eyes. You put like a two lasers okay. in your eyes. All right. And it, so you it, change your profile picture to add laser eyes, and that tells everybody that you love crypto. Of course, I think probably people remove that quite quickly in 2022 from their profile pics. Yeah, I don't see many of those today. Yeah. So FOMO is hard. And, you know, the fear of missing out, it's, as it turned out, a lot of uh, people wanted to buy GICs or treasuries or put their money in cash at exactly the wrong time, even though they were attracted to the higher yields that those products have. It's counterintuitive, but it seems that the best time to sit on cash or hold those type of safe investments is when the markets, uh, when the yields of those things are very low and the markets are very high, not when the markets are low and the yields are high. But anyways, uh, that's that's how it goes. I think that's well said. Yeah. So let's, our feature uh, conversation today is going to be about two companies that just reported earnings, Netflix and CN Rail. We've talked about them before on the podcast and Ernest did an excellent job explaining the railroad uh, in Canada on a previous podcast. We'll share on the show notes. Um, if you want to learn why those companies, CN and CP, have been such dominant performers over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Uh, and why Canada is such a good place for the railroads, I highly recommend you listen to that podcast. But Ernest, Netflix, holy smokes, the recovery, the crazy moves since COVID. Uh, the stock um, pre-COVID was about two, dollars $300 a share. One of the best performing stocks on the U.S. markets for a long period of time. With COVID, everybody stuck at home. You, the Netflix uh, added, I think, 100 million subscribers in a very short period of time. Just insane. The stock went parabolic, peaked at $700. Um, in 2022, uh, after the uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia, there were issues with subscriber growth. People were starting to leave the house. Netflix prices went up. They were starting to crack down on the profit sharing. All of a sudden, the stock cratered to $160. Now back up today in the mid-500 range. So uh, Netflix, um, we want to explain uh, you know, what's going on with Netflix and why we're still positive on its outlook. So Ernest, go ahead. Yeah, I think it, it certainly gives much more meaning to, to buy and hold investing. <laughs> right? Like it's, it's really easy when you have something like Berkshire Hathaway that that doesn't really go down and, and just pretty much goes up. Drama free, pun intended, of course. Yeah. It's easy to to hold a company like Berkshire. Yeah. It's much harder for something like Netflix, even if you have a solid understanding of the financial statements and of the fundamentals of the business, to own something that can go up 100%, down 80%, and then up 200% again. Yeah, no, and it's tough. And for those that watch their portfolios every minute, of course, um, it can drive you crazy. And yeah, price dictates a lot of our behaviors. Well, when something starts to crater, you're like, what am I missing? Am I an idiot? Let's get out. Let's get the tax loss. Tax loss. We can always buy back later. And of course, you'll buy back later at a much higher price because you're only going to buy back later after there's confirmation that the business is improved. And when the confirmation of the business is improved, generally the stock price is a lot higher. So what I would say for Netflix is that at the end of the day, 
the debate on Netflix's stock has always been about two things. Number one is, do people watch Netflix because there's a specific show that they want to watch on Netflix? Or do they want, or do they watch a show on Netflix just simply by virtue of it being on Netflix? So kind of like it's a channel, right? I'm yeah. gonna, Netflix is a channel, uh, Disney is a channel, and I, I don't know what I'm gonna watch, so I'm gonna turn on Netflix, see what they have. If it's no good, move on to the next. Yeah. And the it's reason, good, good, yeah. good thought process, yes. And the reason that this matters mm -hmm. is because if people are simply going on to Netflix because there's a show that they wanna watch, let's say Stranger Things. Okay. Once the show is done, they'll cancel, right? And so if, like, under this scenario, there's no margin expansion opportunity mm -hmm, for Netflix. Mm -hmm. There's, they're not going to make money because they have to keep making shows for you to, 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 to keep you as a subscriber. But under the second scenario, if Netflix can make a show and you'll watch it just because it's on Netflix, then it's a very scalable business. Yeah, They can... Uh, and that's what we're seeing with the stock today or the financials of the mm -hmm, company mm -hmm. today. They and Netflix has become in and of itself the brand. And because you trust the brand, the shows are going to be good or mostly good. And you're just going to keep coming back and you're not going to want to cancel and repurchase and cancel and repurchase. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's what the behavior of, of, of the Netflix subscribers are. Mm -hmm. They would sign on see what's going on on Netflix yeah. and, and just pick something random to watch. And that's a really important thing to understand about Netflix because, because, of, because of this behavior, the, they don't have to spend money to keep you there. Yeah. Uh, it's a very scalable model. And, and you can see that with the profits that they're making today. I mean, that said, I do get emails from Netflix probably daily saying, make sure to finish Seinfeld. I'm not watching Seinfeld. I've watched it a million times. My son is getting into it. Or it says, have you watched these shows? So they still are marketing to existing subscribers, I assume. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. But you can actually see this debate play out in Netflix's stock price when it's, when it's at all-time highs, right? Uh, when it was 700 bucks. Netflix, there were articles that Netflix is an aggregator, right? It's uh, the future of TV. When it was at the bottom, um, at 160, yeah. the narrative is that um, Netflix is not going to be a profitable company. The competition is picking up. Like Disney and HBO are all making streaming services. And now I think it's pretty clear today that uh, Netflix is, is, is the clear uh, winner. Is the clear winner of this it's a so-called streaming war. So let's before we talk about the results of 2024 or for the period in 2023, let's dig in a little bit. At why why did Netflix do so poorly at in parts of 2022? Why did revenue fall? Revenue growth fall to six percent. Um, explain the dynamics of what happened there. Was it just people? Over extrapolating such a good move prior in in COVID, and as a result, twenty twenty two was just not as good because they had already gotten so many subscribers in a fast period of time. It was mostly just because COVID was such a strange time for for so many companies. Mm -hmm. I think you have to remember that everybody was stuck at home yeah. for about like a year or two, 
Yeah, I don't want to remember that. Yes, but... And so anybody who would have signed up for Netflix would have already done so yeah. uh, from March 2020 through 2021, right? And if you didn't sign up for Netflix during that period of time, there was probably some other reason other than their content not being good enough. Okay. Maybe you, you, you couldn't afford it, right? Maybe you just, your internet wasn't good enough. Maybe you were sharing your dad's password, so you yeah. didn't need to sign up. Or you only like sports. Exactly. Yeah, and which Netflix didn't have until, we'll and, talk about re recently, yeah. And so subscriber growth slowed, maybe should have been predictably mm -hmm. in 2022. And you add to the fact that interest rates started to go up, yeah. right? And and the the US dollar was really strong, so there were FX headwinds. And Netflix just had a really weak year. So those that sold out in 2022, um, there was no thesis drift with Netflix. Not a lot has changed. It was maybe the they were they saw a few tough quarters. Um, they got whipsawed by whipsawed by price, and as a result, cashed out. Um, but I think, and here we have to give Netflix management a lot of credit, okay. because they executed so quickly on on their, their, their new initiatives. Yeah. They recognized what was going on and they pivoted quickly, which is how any good businessman should do, or mm -hmm. business person yeah. should do, is that when the situation changes, you have to react. Yeah. And Netflix reacted very quickly. They launched an ad-supported tier. So if you, if you didn't want to pay $8 a month, you would pay for the ad. You, you can pay less mm -hmm. and, and sign up for the ad-supported experience. And that's apparently going quite well, right? Yes. Okay. Th that's going very well. They uh, cracked down on password sharing, right? So, don't I know it? Um, yeah. They, so lots of people were complaining. I want I. You know, it's not fair. I mean, it's not fair that you ha <laughs> you're not paying for your own Netflix uh, subscription. Whatever. They cracked down. Yeah, they cracked down on password sharing, mm -hmm. and that's been a big driver of subscribers uh, in 2023 as well. And then now they are uh, executing on sports, which they signed a deal with WWE to bring um, to bring that to the service. So let's let's talk about this WWE wrestling deal. It used to be called WWF for wrestling aficionados like myself. I was a one of the biggest fans of wrestling growing up as a kid. You don't like wrestling? No, I no. I, I haven't watched it before. So you, if we talk about Randy Macho Man Savage or Hulk Hogan, no clue who that no is. No clue. I think around the office yesterday we saw The Rock, Dwayne J J Johnson on TV, and Ernest had no idea who that was. No, so I I know who The Rock is. Yeah, but I don't know why he's called The Rock. Oh, you don't know? Okay, I think that was <laughs> just his nickname, right? Um, anyway, so wrestling ebbs has ebbed and flowed, of course. Um, you know, it's uh, but now it's mainstream. It's the WWE is a global gigantic brand reaching millions of viewers every week with a number of flagship programs and their pay-per-view wrestling. It's scripted, but you know, it does look like they really try and kill each other and people like the storylines. It's episodic, right? So if you miss one week, you're not going to know what you, you, you're out of the loop, right? You, because the storylines continue. Uh, and then they always lead up to a, a main uh, pay-per-view or leading program like uh, WrestleMania. And then that continues. I think uh, WWE Raw has been on TV for like 30 plus years. That's their main program. And 
the bidding war, uh, everybody expected eventually Netflix would get into live programming. So your take on uh, Netflix and WWE? Right. That's a, this is a big deal because net, it is for Netflix's first push, major push. Yeah. Uh, they did this little golf thing before. I don't know if that counts as sports. And they had some comedy, live comedy programming. I think they had uh, Chris Rock, and that was very successful. But, you know, everything on Netflix is either put on once a week or dumped in, in one shot, right? So there's no uh, appointment television. Yes. And this changes the game for Netflix. You you got to be uh, watching WWE Raw if you're a big fan every Monday night at 8 o'clock and you don't want to miss it. Maybe maybe that you can watch it later on demand, but you're gonna you know people will will know the storylines and you, there'll be spoilers, so you really need to watch it every week. Yes, and so this was Netflix's first big push into sports, and it's notable because Netflix has previously always said that they never saw a business case for sports, but as, as I think as you pointed out, uh, WWE is is quite different from. Like traditional sports like the NFL. Yeah. Right? It's scripted. You might want to return to it every... If you miss an episode, you you can't watch the next one. Yeah. And the reason why Netflix... I think uh, WWE makes sense for Netflix is... There's two reasons. Number one is that WWE is a, is a, is a big brand globally. Globally, yeah. Right? I mean, can, wrestling, people beating up e each other, uh, that translates across all countries and across all languages. It's, it's you know, that's that appeals to a lot of young people and maybe old people as well. And Netflix has a very large, the largest international streaming base of mm -hmm. any streaming company. So what's the global reach of Netflix? Like how, there's 260 million subscribers, but I assume that over a billion could sign up today if they wanted to. Well, give or uh, take. Yeah. You can watch it, it on your there's, phone, there's, you can watch it on your iPad. Yes. I mean, it's not, not just on your TV. That's yeah, so yeah. Netflix has always kind of put out a statistic of 500 million global pay TV subscribers. Okay. Relative to 260 million subscribers today. So still a long runway of opportunity just from people who historically have watched TV. And that's obviously not including the billions of people who don't have TVs yes. and are maybe just signing up for the internet the first yeah. time. Yeah. Or, or maybe they won't even bypass a TV and just watch it on their phone or maybe one day on the Apple Vision Pro. Story for another day. But Netflix will be, back to WWE, Netflix will be able to, 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 to showcase uh, and, and distribute WWE to its 260 million subscribers globally, which has not been done before because WWE historically uh, more distributed in North America than the rest of the world. So how, so they're paying over about $500 million a year. Yes. For, I mean, there's an option, but the last time WWE signed a contract for Raw, I think they got close to $300 million from Comcast. So this is a big step up for WWE. How will Netflix monetize and make money on this big contract? And the timing of this is interesting as well because mm -hmm. Netflix has been working on ad ads and their ability to serve ads for a while. So I think prior to 2022, Netflix probably couldn't have bid on this contract even if they wanted to because they just didn't have the ability to serve ads in between the shows. But now they can and 
and I expect them to do more in this area. I've read that full-paying subscribers to Netflix, those that have the premium tier, won't see any ads on on the wrestling, but those on the ad tier or the cheaper tiers will see ads during uh, breaks and wrestling matches and what ha what have you. So uh, clearly, they think they can recuperate some of the some of the payment of the contract, as well as add additional shows and programming, yes. sponsorship, and what have you. Uh, these are two very smart companies coming together, and uh, hopefully it's going to be a win-win for Netflix. So talk, uh, yeah, so we talked about the WWE. The results from Netflix speak for themselves. So why don't you get into that for a minute about uh, Netflix's fourth quarter earnings? Well, I think the other aspect that I think has been a little bit underappreciated or misunderstood about Netflix is that they're, is that, it is a very profitable company. I think for the longest time, I think a lot of the the bears on the stock, they would say, oh, look at Netflix's cash flow. Like mm -hmm. They're burning cash. They're not profitable. They're never going to be profitable because they're on the proverbial content treadmill. Yep. And I think that's just been proven to be wrong. In, in 2023, they earned $6.7 billion nice. of yeah. free cash flow. Wow. Which is, which is clearly not... A trivial, a trivial amount. Yeah, yeah, and they used a lot of that cash flow to uh, buy back stock as well. Yes, mm -hmm. they, and I think more importantly is that free cash flow today is pretty close to reported earnings. So uh, that proves that their accounting is is not is pretty accurate, contrary to what some people have suggested. Sounds good. So, and Netflix spending comes at a time when maybe some of their competitors are pulling back. Um, we have to assume that linear cable is now just 100% relying on sports. Um, and, and news. And news. Could that change in the future with Netflix? Is I mean, is this inevitable? Is Netflix just going to be the winner and we're all going to no, no longer pay for linear cable and Netflix will have the news and the sports eventually at some point in time? Sports and news, I think, with regards to big four sports like the NBA or the NFL, probably not in the near future mm -hmm. because it's hard for Netflix to to be able to monetize these properly mm -hmm. to the same degree that they historically have done in, in other types of content. But I think to, to the broader point about legacy media, I think there's no question today that Netflix is in a much stronger position relative to its competitors than it has been for quite a while and probably ever. Um, you can see that with Disney and HBO, they have been pulling back on their streaming and have started licensing content back to Netflix again. Uh, so, um, and Netflix is the only company again, that's profitable on streaming. As a side note, Ernest, this is why you should own market leaders and why in a high rate environment, market leaders gain market share and trounce their competition. Uh, yeah, yes, interest rates can hurt market valuations for stocks, but with but think about the fundamentals. Higher interest rates make it harder for companies to finance new projects, uh, to launch new businesses off the ground, uh, to cover their debts. Disney and Paramount and a lot of the uh, NBC with Peacock, Comcast, a lot of debt. So uh, whereas Netflix, as you said, they're gushing free cash flow. They're in a great position. So very interesting. Uh, so what do you do with the stock here, Ernest? Uh, it's up uh, dramatically in 2023. A nice start to 2024. It's no longer 
I, I don't know if stock was ever um, fundamentally cheap. Maybe it was at $160 at the bottom. Uh, it's never been a, a cheap stock, but the earnings are finally here. What do you do with the stock? Where do you see earnings over the next few years? If, if, if you can provide some color there. I think the competitive positioning of Netflix has is clear at this point, right? There's no more debate about whether Disney's going to come in and disrupt Netflix. Yeah. Like that's not happening. No. I think stock today trades at about 30 times consensus earnings. For 2024, yeah. 2024. Yeah. I think it's still reasonable value. Um, stock might fluctuate here or there based on you know, various quarters results and those kinds of things. But I think the important thing to think about Netflix is that this it's a fixed cost business, right? If they make a show and they add another subscriber, yeah. the flow through profit of that subscriber is very, very high, yeah. right? And that's why Netflix doesn't need to add too many subscribers for profits to really go up substantially. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that you saw in the 2023 results. You start making a lot of money on the last few subscribers that you get. Yes. Kind of like uh, the airlines. They only make money on the last few seats that they sell on yes. the plane. Although uh, we don't ever want to get back into the airline business. So, and, and yeah, so globally, yeah. Yeah. very long runway of opportunity to add subscribers. They're growing pretty rapidly in the ad-supported business. Uh, we'll see what happens with video games. They're also making a push into Yeah, that. we didn't even talk about pushing the video games. You always say one of the things about strong management is they can surprise you. Yes. And so the WWE deal, surprise. Going to gaming, gaming being a success, surprise. Launching the ads here. There's more to come from Netflix. I, I also read for people that don't know what's going on with Netflix, they're getting into the uh, live uh, theater business as well. They launched a Stranger Things um, play in London. They're working on other, like they're trying to build a brand. Who knows? Maybe they'll build a theme park at some point in time. God only knows. Yeah, so uh, bottom line, it's a very well-run business, yeah. uh, very profitable, long runway of growth and happy to continue owning it. Sounds good. So- there, Netflix, there is drama with the stock price. You, you could imagine that there could be a quarter in the upcoming where they miss subscriber growth. The stock plummets 10%. Um, it's, we love the runway opportunity with Netflix, but once in a while, it's nice to own a company that has a little less drama. And one that we're going to talk about is CN Rail, the Canadian Railroad. Right. So for CN Rail, um, Canadian National Railway, it's one of the two main rails in Canada along with is Canadian it, Pacific. Is it larger than Canadian Pacific? By, by by freight and by revenues, yes. Okay. They are bigger. But I don't know if that's true after the, the Kansas City deal. But gotcha. that's neither okay. here nor there. Mm -hmm. unlike, unlike Netflix, there's no battleground debates on the economics of Canadian National Railway. Yeah. It is what it is. It's, it's a railway that moves stuff from one coast to the other of Canada. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Canada is a big place. They earn, they spend a lot of money, but they make a lot of money too. Yeah. And the stock price is not nearly as volatile as Netflix. That's right. On the other hand, of course, there's no grand narrative about like disrupting linear TV for no. CN Rail. Like it, it'll continue to do what it does. It moves heavy stuff and lots of lots of stuff that at the moment can't be disrupted by anything else. And especially the geographic uh, issues with Canada, you need railroads. CN. Uh, 
and CN and CP have both have made a lot of acquisitions over a few years. CP with a bigger splash, of course, acquiring Kansas City Southern, but CN has still been acquisitive, acquiring other smaller railroads and, and growing its track inside Canada as well, in North America and the United States. Um, so its results are the railroads had a tough year in 2023, right? Yes, 2023 was a rough year for the Canadian rails. Why is that? First of all, 2022, if you remember, yeah. was a year when everybody was worried about shortages. There was just not enough freight. That's right. right? And so what happened was that all the retailers, they ordered way too much stuff. Uh, and and going into 2023, like the retailers had too much inventory and they just didn't need to order as much stuff. And is that their most profitable part of the business, the intermodal where they're moving stuff, not the grains or the commodities, but actual heavy stuff from one coast to the other or, or to one terminal? It's not their most profitable, but it's certainly a, an important part of their business. Gotcha. And so that, that, was, that placed some pressure on volumes. In 2023, commodity prices were also lower. Yeah. So that impacted their volumes of, of things like crude oil and forest products. Exactly. When commodity prices are lower, there's less drilling, there's less getting stuff out of the ground, waiting for better pricing. So, yeah. And then lastly, there was a bit of... Um, of just natural disasters in 2020. It was a very well. loud, crazy weather year in Canada. We had uh, uh, fires and uh, you know a lot of ice storms. It was just not a good year. So that freight. It, yeah, so that mm. impacted volumes a little bit. Yeah. No, I think it, the management itself doesn't know what the Canadian economy is going to do uh, in 2024. Nobody does. I mean, most expect. Uh, the U.S. economy have a pretty good year in 2024. A lot of people are expecting a, a recession in 2024 in Canada um, or maybe both in North America. No one knows, though. But as of right now, the CN Rail is currently expecting about mid-single-digit volume growth. So pretty good. And that's kind of been how it's done normally, right? COVID kind of messed things up, uh, you know, went boom, boom, boom. But over in normal periods... Uh, CN and CP, the amount of freight volume that they move is slightly goes up every year. Yep. And then there's pricing, and yep, that's how it works. And on the pricing point, mm -hmm. like historically, they they historically raise prices by a bit more than inflation, which has come down substantially. And there's also a bunch of idiosyncratic opportunities that are uh, not related to the economy. So, for example, they're building a new line for a new potash mine in Saskatchewan yeah. for BHP. Yeah. They're they've they've just started to move propane for Altagas okay. uh, in in Prince Rupert, right? These kinds of yeah. little things that I think add up over time. That's right. And if you're bullish on Canada, the population growth, uh, we'll need to be building more cities, more hospitals, more apartment buildings. Uh, we'll need more cars, we'll need more Tim Hortons. There's going to be more stuff that's required. Yes. And that stuff can be moved by trucks, but a lot of it has to be moved by rail. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I think the new CEO is is has done a good job of improving the operations so far, uh, namely improving train speed and improving dwell. And I think that I think I'm very happy to hold the stock here. Yeah, we talked about on on our podcast before how it was shocking to us to learn that the railroads have outperformed the banks over going back uh, 25, 30 years, 
Um, but if you look at the metrics, it shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, the stock market tends to reward companies that have um, su sustainable growing earnings, uh, not wonky earnings where it's you know boom bust. It tends to reward companies that generate high returns on equity. A return on equity is another way of saying how, how companies uh, are profitable with the cash that they generate, as well as uh, high returns on invested capital. That's when they put that cash to work. And the railroads in Canada have been fantastic uh, operators. You know, there's been some tough years, some lean years, but um, definitely, uh, you know, they've outperformed the banks. Quite recently, the we talked about the railroads haven't had good performance, but that's really a function of a tougher economy and a messed up COVID. But I see going forward, Ernest, the railroads are guiding for double-digit earnings growth, both CP and CN for the next few years. Um, you should get share buybacks. You should get dividend uh, growth as well. You got to be bullish on the rails. And I think one one last thing I would add on the rails is that a lot of the freight that they move is not too tied to the general economy. So, for example, like they move a lot of wheat. Got to eat. Uh, they they move like crude oil to uh, like cr crude oil yeah. for like um, to export markets. Gotcha. Right? Like these are these are not too sensitive to what's happening in the Canadian economy. And so even if there's a scenario where the Canadian economy is 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 not doing very well, they'll they'll probably still remain solidly profitable. Sounds good. Anything else to add about CN or Netflix? Uh, I think one thing about Netflix, uh, uh, we haven't done books for a while. Yeah. The Reed Hastings book, No Rules, Rules. No Rules, Rules. On the culture that he tried to establish at Netflix. Reed Hastings is the former CEO. Now he's now chairman yeah, or he, is he backed he, away he, from the he's, company he's, entirely? He's the chairman, okay. um, advisor, mostly working on charity stuff. Gotcha. His book on his book, No Rules Rules, I think is a must read for anybody who wants to learn about an innovative approach to management and people at the firm. Netflix has a very unique culture that seems unlike any other firm that I've studied before. And it's well worth your read. And we've mentioned many times, uh, if you want to learn more about the Canadian railroads, please read the book Railroader. It's about Hunter Harrison, written by Howard Green, former anchor at BNN. Uh, just an amazing book to learn, uh, you know, the history of the railroads and why they've done so fabulous. And we're, you know, like we said, we're pretty positive on them going forward. So that's all the time we have for you today. We'll see you back here real soon. Thank you very much. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any forecasts on the economy, markets, or individual securities should not be viewed as investment advice, a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Clients of Baskin Wealth Management and the speakers on this podcast may own shares of the companies discussed. Information on this podcast is current as of the time of production and is subject to change. If you have any questions or would like to subscribe to these podcasts, visit our website at baskinwealth.com.